feel free to stand with me for the reading of the scripture. They were reading Luke 24, 13 to 35. A little bit of context there is uh, Jesus has just risen and the disciples have just been informed of this and they are understandably perplexed. On the road to Emmaus, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He, ca he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, a powerful in word and deed before God and all people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But he had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us what they, that they had seen a vision of angels, who he said was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them that what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while we talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and told uh, those with them assembled together saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. I want to welcome our guest preacher today, Bill Snyder. Bill was with us, was it last spring, winter? When was the last time you were with us? I think it was sometime in the last, I think this year. So uh, Bill taught chemistry for 43 years at Liberty. You can come on up, Bill at Liberty High School, Poland High School, and YSU. And aside from teaching, Bill worked as a pastor in rural church ministry at Beaver Creek Ministries for 13 years. And you'll still see uh, he still helps lead a Bible study at Generations each week. And are you still serving on the board at God's Choice? Yeah. So that's another connection between Bill and our congregation is that he serves on that, bo that board. Bill and Ruth have been married for 49 years. Is it more than that now? Uh, it's 49 and a half. 49 and a half. <laughs> Wow, so you're, you're closing in on 50. Coming in on April. All right, we'll have you back again, and it'll be 50, and we'll wish you congratulations. Uh, they have two children, Bill, who lives in Poland, and Amy, who lives in Salem, and six grandchildren. Thank you so much, Bill, for being back with us.
Let me check to see that uh, we're all hearing okay. Okay, that makes me feel really good. Um, I'd like to welcome those of you on YouTube to the service today and our time, and uh, hope it is meaningful for you. I wanted to tell you I really appreciated that prelude. That was just wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. And isn't it so exciting to be in a church where there are children? And not just that there are children, but that the church pays attention to the children. And God blesses you because of that, I know. Well, I uh, really would like to know if you're with me here on this. So I have one question to ask you first. And I want you to think about it before you answer because it does involve a little bit of motion on your part And I know nobody wants to be embarrassed, but that's just the way it goes sometimes. This is really a very simple question. Would you please point to the West? (laughs) Wait, wait, don't, don't, hold it, hold it. I want to make sure I got it. Okay, there are, (laughs) there are a couple Wests out there, but yeah, basically that way you're saying that's the West? Okay, thank you. I needed that because... Um, what would you tell me if uh, in the morning I woke up and um, I was really wanting to enjoy the sunrise and I was looking to the west to see the sunrise? What would you tell me? Turn, turn around. Exactly. But I want you to think about that as the picture of these two men on the way to Emmaus. Emmaus is to the northwest, west of Jerusalem. The first scripture that we looked at today told you how far it was. It was seven miles. So just to kind of bring us together in this, I pulled out the Google Maps And I figured out pretty closely that from here to the Canfield Fairgrounds is a little less than seven miles, 6.8 to be exact. So as we take a look at what's going on in this, let's try to make it real to ourselves and understand that these men are looking, going to the west when everything that's going to be happening is to their east in Jerusalem. Why are they doing that? We'll explore that a little bit. And that they are walking from Jerusalem to the Canfield Fairgrounds. And they're walking. And and, uh, I think I I figured out from, from some time in the past when I tried to walk real fast. And, you know, I think, I think if we walk kind of quickly, we can walk about four miles an hour. But that's, that's, that's really doing it. So I'm thinking we'd walk a little slower than that. No, especially we'd walk slower if we're trying to talk to the person near us and really not happy with what's going on. And we'd probably be slowly walking. So we'd probably take them about 
you know, if you and I were to walk right now, if we get out the door, walk, that's a nice straight road up there. It's a pretty, pretty easy road, pavement. Maybe you get off the side once. You're up there, and it might take three, maybe two and a half, three hours for us to get there. Okay. Uh, and, and then there um, we are. We're at Emmaus. But something was happening along the way, and I would like to first give you a quick three-point outline, as pastors are always supposed to do, I guess. So here it is, the three points of what's going on, his presence. As you remember the reading that was up there, his, there, there is an immeasurable impact because of the presence, because of his presence. Number two, his prescription. You know, the burning heart, he had this igniting intervention. That was his prescription based upon his presence in the Scripture. Third point, his purpose for believers, which means he inspired involvement to take this story and to take this event to another level. Now, I may not even talk about those again, but there they are along the way. I would also like to say that I find it very interesting that uh, as I listened to the praise team and the music you had about the words of the company, uh, I think someone mentioned about the men on Emmaus in, in company, and I've got to bring that word back in, and I want you to remember that, company, and companionship, and the words of the songs, come walk with me. And open my eyes because, you know, we have blinded eyes and then we have burning hearts. And, and finally, the song about thy word, how instrumental it is in this particular case. And as uh, Mr. Weir had mentioned, uh, previous, prior to verse 13, great things had happened. Jesus had arisen. The women realized something was amazingly going on, and they weren't quite sure, and they went back to the rest and tried to talk about it, and no one believed them. And so the men, behold, it says in verse 13, behold. That means Mar or Luke, Luke the writer of this, you know, he's the only Gentile that has the privilege of having a book in the Bible. He's the doctor, the doctor observes and makes prescriptions, and, and sees here, behold, he's saying, pay attention to this. Two of them. Okay, who were them? Them may have been, as the scholars write, they may have been a group. Remember when Jesus sent out the 70, seven zero people to minister to some of the towns? They may have been in this group. Regardless, we could call them disciples, could we not? Disciple means learner. These were people who were learning about Jesus Christ. They were trying to be close to him, but maybe not close enough. They're not among the 12. They're not among the 12. They're disciples, though. And as I see this Emmaus Road section, which I have loved for so long of my life, that I've kept this, a picture of this event on my bulletin board by my office desk so that every day I can see what's going on here in this story. 
This is a story about us as individuals. It's a story about us. It's a story about a church, or can be as well. And so we see here two of them were going that very day to the village we mentioned called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were, in verse 14, they were talking. Now, um, you know what? It was a lot more than just talking. You know, have you ever been kind of upset about something? Now, some of you can be upset, and, and you just kind of talk like this about it, and no one knows that anything's going on. Well, you know there are people maybe sitting next to you that when they're upset or concerned or really... <laughs> They, they demonstrate what's going on inside by how they move. Can't you imagine this hap that happening with these two men? They were talking. They were animated, really, in, the, in what they were doing with each other about what had taken place. You know, I do believe that these were men who were, were distracted and disappointed and downhearted. And yes, we see that word. They were confused. They were frustrated about what was going on in their lives. That's why I think those words can point to things in our lives as well. We can identify with these men because not everything in life goes very smoothly. Some things do. Many things do not. We can be disturbed, disgusted, frustrated, disoriented, discouraged. And we can be so overcome with all of the emotions of those words that maybe we just don't see very well. I think sometimes we need to learn how to see. Case in point, we have a pantry down in the basement where we store a lot of the things that we use for food and as other items, and when my wife asks for something, I like to save her uh, going down those steps, and I'll go get something, and she uh, was saying something like, now you men would identify with this, really, I think you would. She said, would you go down there and, and grab, um, uh, grab the noodles, the noodles? Oh, man, I know what noodles look like. Don't you guys know what noodles look like? So I go down and I'm looking for a bag of noodles, okay? I, I know how to spell noodle, too, and I, I know what they look like, and, and I'm looking, and I'm, I'm thinking, oh, I'm praying, Lord, help me to find these noodles. And I go back up, I says, Ruth, there aren't any noodles. Yes, there is. We just bought them. They're in this blue bo box. I'm looking for noodles in a bag. I, I go down, and I look, and sure enough, in a box are some noodles, when all the time I was not seeing correctly because of what was in my mind was a picture of something else. We go right to Emmaus. We go right to our times when we have things going on in our lives that we just don't see well because we don't have the perspective that we need. Oh, they were getting out of town. 
There was so much commotion in Jerusalem. They needed to get out of there. People knew that they had been close to Jesus, and they're asking them questions. And they just want to, you know, if you had hair, you'd pull it out. And so they would say, let's just get to where it's calmer. Let's get to the countryside. I can agree with that, and I'm sure you can too. It's more serene. It's calmer. It's better. But you know what? An amazing thing was happening in verse 15. While they were talking and discussing, and remember I said it's more than just talking and walking, Jesus himself approached. Now, we need to take this in context. If, if we could think, uh, take a look at, in our minds about a couple of people walking down the road and going like this and maybe stopping and going like this or whatever they want to do to try to get a point across, Jesus is behind them. They're walking three miles an hour, and Jesus is walking 3.15 miles an hour because he's going to catch up with them pretty soon. He's approaching them. I could just imagine Jesus is almost chuckling about the whole thing. He almost thinks, you know what, I know these men are so wrapped up and so concerned and so devastated, but I'm getting there. I'm getting there. And they finally approach Jesus. I love how Luke writes this or how it's written, Jesus himself. It means he was really there. He showed, Jesus showed up. Will we recognize Jesus when he shows up? Or will we continue to be so distracted and discouraged and disappointed and devastated and any other words you want to add to that? And he began traveling with them. Verse 16 is a horrible verse. Their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. I think that goes back to what we've been talking about. Their perspective was just immensely off track. They were so concerned and overwhelmed and overcome with what was going on and what they thought should be happening. Perhaps is an even greater detail to add in. And I pray that we would have eyes to see him. The second song in that one group that we sang today, Open My Eyes. Lord, I pray that the things that can be overwhelming in my life and my world and they be, may be greatly legitimate things that I would be really able to see you. And Jesus said to them, huh, I could see Jesus is probably having a hard time not smiling about this. And he said, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still. The words that were on the board was downcast. David, the psalmist, has a... Saul, why are you downcast, O my soul? And downcast can happen, and it happens legitimately. But then there's always the opportunity that Jesus comes in his presence. We can turn that around. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, What? Are you the only one in Jerusalem that's unaware of the things that are going on here? Verse 19. Jesus said, <laughs> what things are you talking about? And again, I, could just, I think his heart might be beating faster because he knows what's happening. They're talking about him to him, and they don't know it's him. And they said, these things about Jesus, can you imagine 
looking at Jesus' face and saying, we're talking about these things about Jesus. And there's Jesus right there. The Nazarene, who was, oh, who was a prophet, mighty in word and deed. They were looking for the wrong Jesus. They were not looking for the Redeemer. They were not looking for the Savior. They were not looking for Jesus who was dead and arose again. They were looking for something else. He was a mighty a prophet in the sight of God and the people. And the chief priest and our rulers sentenced him to death and crucified him. There's another rough part. Verse 21. We were hoping that. Haven't you heard that? Haven't you felt that? Maybe you've said that. I would... A family, my mom, a wife, and a husband might say, I was, I was hoping that we'd have a child by now. Or you've heard someone say, oh, by now I wished, I had hoped I'd be feeling better. I was hoping I'd get back to work. I, I was hoping that by now I just have a little bit more here. I was hoping that the relationship would be improved by now. I was hoping that my, my tractor tried to fix it, but I was hoping it would work and it doesn't work, and so on and so forth. You've got the idea. These men were hoping, but they were hoping for the warrior Jesus and not the suffering Jesus. They were hoping for the political Jesus to come and rescue them from the situation in which they find themselves as a country. We were hoping that he was going to redeem Israel, not in the way that is redemption from the cross, but in the way of redemption of upsetting the Romans from the country. And then they said, oh, and look, it's been three days ago, and there's still nothing happening. He talked about three days, but nothing's happening. But the women, they knew, women always know, women among us amazed us. They were at the tomb, and they didn't find a body, and the, the angels, and we go to verse 24, and it was just as they said, <sighs> but we didn't see him. Now, Jesus gets very serious, and he's not smiling when he talks about what we see in verse 25. And he, Jesus, said to them, Oh, you foolish men and slow to heart. I looked up some other versions about what might be written here. I think the Amplified Version says this. Oh, you thick-headed and slow-hearted people. <laughs> I don't know. There's been times as I was teaching a class that I wanted to say to somebody, oh, you thick-headed person, you. Oh, come on. Just get your eyes open. Open your ears. Jesus said to them, I mean, they're, they're, they're side by side. Jesus looked into their eyes and said, you thick-headed. Oh, boy, would that be a zinger. You know, but even worse is slow-hearted, 
heart in the wrong place? To believe. Oh, you foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. Jesus isn't saying here, I'm really upset because you didn't believe the women. But he said, I'm upset because you didn't believe the word of God. May that be important to us. Believe. The word believe is very interesting because, as we know, the Bible's in the New Testament's written in Greek, and the Greek carries three words with it in that context of believe. It means trust, rely on, and adhere to. Let me say it again. When these people heard the word believe, they were thinking trust in, rely on, and adhere to. So believing Jesus meant more than just he was there. But that was someone who we could trust and someone we could rely on and someone we could adhere to. And Jesus said something critically for us here. Was it not necessary, in verse 26, for Christ to suffer these things? That had to really grab these men because suffering was not in their dictionary. And then oh, Jesus takes them on this tour, the tour of Moses and the prophets and the scriptures about, and imagine Jesus giving them scriptures about Jesus. Jesus is talking about Jesus to the men. And so, walking along, and they're almost to the Canfield Fairgrounds, and, and they want to stop at their house and bring Jesus in as the custom is. And they acted, in verse 28, as though they were going further. And Jesus wanted to see what would happen. He says, I, th I think I better keep on going. I, I got places to go. No, 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 stay with us. It's getting evening. And that was right. It was getting evening. It was going to be dark. And there were no street lights from Emmaus to Jerusalem. There was a rough, bumpy, windy, dangerous road. And you don't go traveling that way at night at that particular time. So Jesus went in to stay with them. Pretty soon, Jesus changes from being the guest to being the host. And so he reclined at the table with them. I love verse 30 and 31. Look at that. He took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it. Can you imagine that? I imagine also that as Jesus walked down the road with men, I don't know, I don't think the robes had pockets in those days, but let's just pretend they did. He wanted to hide his hands, wouldn't he? He got nail scars in his hand. So he probably has his hands in his pockets or like this. And they don't get a chance because he's not going like this to them. But now, when the timing is right, when their hearts are ready, he broke the bread and he hands it to them. Can't you just imagine? I, I almost have a burning heart now as I think about it. As they see the scars, they see his hands where the nails were, and they began to think, oh, it must be Jesus. Look at verse 31. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Isn't there a beauty and fellowship at a table? I know you experience that with your family and with others. You're a church that does that. Fellowship at the table. And they said one to another, huh, it's a great heartburn here. Were not our hearts burning within us 
And that means something is really connecting. And you've been there before probably when something that has happened in your life and, and, and the Lord really connected and you really connected and you know your heart burned within you because of that. And so he was explaining the scripture, this encounter. They were changed in order to become changed people, changers, this encounter. And they got up that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, the Lord has really risen. No doubts now. Look at the contrast from, you know, three and a half hours ago. The no, they, they take this road in the dark down to Jerusalem again. They didn't wait till the morning. They didn't wait till the dawn. They left in the dark and began to relate their experiences on the road. And he recognized them he rec and how he was recognized by them. And so you see, there is this renewed purpose, this renewed vision that they, that they have. I think it's in Proverbs where it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. I think that's Proverbs 29 somewhere. That's what these men had now. They had a vision. They were not going to perish, nor were the people around them. So now what? We looked at his presence and his prescription and his purpose for believers. And so that means that we are people that can be like the men of Emmaus. How so? Let's go back to that word that said, we had hoped. And look at the last part of this, how they, 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 they explained and expanded on their hope and gave it out to others. We say sometimes uh, hope. I remember when I was teaching, my hope was I could just make it to lunchtime. Because I ate very early in the morning, and I was hoping, and I'm hoping, and I'm hoping. <clears throat> but that's not the hope you and I are talking about here. It was early May of this year that Ruth and I took a little uh, jaunt over to Ellen M. Gardens just to see what they had. Huh, here's what they had. You know, they have these carts. There's a lower level and an upper level. You know the carts, right? And, and there was a man, a big man, pushing the cart. And uh, so, okay, that's fine. Uh, but there were two kids on the bottom level and the flowers on the top. And, uh, okay, that's, that's all right. So uh, they were, they were well-behaved kids. They really were because he was a big man. And so... Uh, as we were looking around, and I began to talk with the man a little bit, and the kids got out, and, and there was a girl about this high, and there was a boy about this high, but that boy had on a T-shirt that I wanted. It wouldn't have fit, but I wanted it. And it said, Hope Dealer. These were so a believer family. And this man had a shirt, and this boy had a shirt on that says, Hope Dealer. And I'm thinking, that's exactly what you and I are. We are people who are giving out hope. What does it say? 
I think it's 1 Peter 3, 15. Be always ready to give an answer to the hope that lies within you. That's how we put feet to this story of the men on Emmaus. You and I, as individuals and as a church, are giving out hope. We give out hope to others. Mr. Crowder has a song about hope, and the chorus goes like this. All my hope is in Jesus. Thank God my yesterday is gone. All my sins are forgiven. I've been washed by the blood. Let us pray. Lord, as we bring an end to the sermon, we don't bring an end to the message. Because you and I have hope to share as we talk with each other together. We pray that you would bring people across our paths and may we be alert to being men and women and boys and girls who are anxious, who are eager to share hope with others. In Jesus' name, amen. One last thing. I, I, this give me, give me 2.5 minutes. What's the Spanish word for bread? Pan, right? P-A-N? Yeah, P-A-N. How do you spell companion? C-O-M-P-A-N-I-O-N. If you tear the word companion apart, C-O-M in the, in the beginning means with. That word came from an old type of language that means with bread. That meant as people began to know each other, you know, they sat around with bread. They became companions. And that's breaking bread together. Well, I'm done. And thank you for this time.